I just want to welcome you. I know we've got quite a few people who are holidaying in Port Lincoln, so a very special welcome. Um, we hope that you're enjoying the morning service and um, that you're having a, a great time in Port Lincoln as well. It's a bit cooler today than it has been the other days. Thank God for all the rain that we've been having as well. Um, and there are a few people who maybe are from Port Lincoln and you're new to church or new to church for a long time and we just want you to know that you're very welcome here and we're really glad that you came. Uh, let's give our music team a round of applause. That was great, wasn't it? Thank you. It's so great to just worship together and to be together. Um, so, uh, yeah, as uh, Katrina said, my name is Kylie. I'm part of the team here. Our senior pastors, Pastor Rob and Pauline and the Santo family are um, at a family wedding over in Perth, Western Australia, uh, this week, and they'll be back on Sunday. Um, we also have a team up in Alliston. The first Sunday of every month we have um, 11 a.m., a One Heart Church service up in Alliston, so um, that's great to be able to send a team from here up there as well. Uh, why don't, just before I begin, we, I get you just for a moment, just a short moment, to turn to the person beside you and say a quick hello. Maybe you came in and it was dark and you're not even sure who you're sitting next to. Beautiful. <laughs> That's great. It's good to know who you're sitting beside because we're not in church, just me and Jesus. We're here as a community of people uh, together. So um, in the past few years at One Heart Church, we've had a theme for the year and it's not uh, tradition. It's not something we're definitely going to do. We didn't write it in the Constitution or anything like that. It's just as we feel led uh, by God and as a team we've um, felt to have like a theme for the year or a word that we feel like God wants us to focus on. And this year that word is victory. You say it with me? Victory. Victory, like we've just been singing about. And uh, the thing is is that for some people, you'll find this to be a really inspiring word and you'll be like, yes, I'm there, I'm declaring victory. But I know as well there will be some people who will feel a sense of almost heartache and frustration at this theme. Is God really putting victory in front of me when I'm not seeing any victory in my life? Maybe you've been part of a church or a group in the past and they've had, you know, the year of victory or a common one, the year of breakthrough. Has anyone been in a group or a church like that? And you might have got to the end of the year and gone, I'm in the same spot. I'm still wrestling with the same stuff. Like, where is my breakthrough? Where is the victory? And I did all those things I was meant to do, pressing and pushing and leaning and all those other Christian words, which mean you have to try really hard. I did all that and I got to the end of the year and there's a new thing for next year and where is my victory? It can feel like a taunt. It can feel like our victory is never coming and the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. But 
we are not the first people to wonder and cry out, Jesus, come on, when are you going to swoop in and fix what I'm seeing here? When are you going to step into this fight? We're not the first people to wish, uh, wish our days away waiting for that moment when Jesus would swoop in and change our circumstances. In the, uh, and God has spoken about it to us, which we see in the Bible. Thank you, God. The first Christians, if you think about them, um, were from Rome, in the Roman provinces, were under torture, the shadow of torture and persecution and imprisonment and death. And they were like fed to the lions and crucified and stuff as a public sport. They, they built places to do this as a sport. And so some people would have become believers in Jesus and they would have lived their whole Christian life under the shadow of, you know, their leaders are being taken away and, and imprisoned and their loved ones are being persecuted. And maybe they then find themselves walking into, you know, the Colosseum or probably being pushed uh, to greet the hungry lions, all because they said they believed in Jesus. Now, that's a community of people who could rightfully ask, where is my victory? As they were getting their last chomp by the lion, Jesus, you still haven't shown up. Where is the victory? Right. But that community of people were filled with hope, and that's the hope that we need to be filled in too. And in the, to that community, Peter wrote a letter. In our Bible, we call it 1 Peter or 1 Peter. It's the first letter that we've got from Peter. The Bible is very imaginatively named. And what P Peter says to that persecuted community in the provinces of Rome, and he was in it. He was in prison in Rome at the time when he wrote this. And later he would be, um, tradition tells us, crucified as well. Um, under that Roman Empire, just for believing in Jesus. What he says to that persecuted community is um, of great encouragement to us as well. So that's what I want to talk about today. Peter reminds the, per the people in First Peter that they are born again in Jesus to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the cross to be, to be alive again. And that that is our hope through every trial, through every piece of bad news that you hear. This one, it says, praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is so good. And by raising Jesus from the dead, he has given us new life and a hope that lives on. A living hope. God has something stored up for you, an inheritance in heaven where it will never decay will never be ruined, will never disappear, will never be burnt up, will never be stolen. You have faith in God whose power will protect you until the last day and then he will save you just as he has always planned to do and on that day you will be glad. Even if you've had to go through many hard trials for a while. Your faith, your faith will be like gold tested in fire and those trials will have proven that your faith is worth much more than gold that can be destroyed. They'll show that you will be given praise and honour and glory when Jesus returns. The key points are these. 
Number one, suffering is not caused by God. God is good. That's the first point about God. That's our starting point for when we're working through where is my victory. God is good. God does not cause suffering. He has good plans. Number two, God does not always swoop in and change the circumstances that we are facing. He never promised to do that. Stink. But he never promised. In fact, God redeems our suffering by using it to help us to focus on the things that really matter. It burns away false hopes, false religion, false faith and distractions and it focuses us on what life is really about and our eternal hope in Jesus. Number, that was number three. Number four, when we live out our faith through times of suffering, it becomes a witness to the mercy and love, the surprising mercy, the generous, unconditional love that God has for us in Jesus. So in a way, God redeems our suffering and allows it to be a gift to us, that it can bear witness that there's someone stronger than us when we are weak, that there's someone generous when all things have been taken away from us, that there's someone whose love never gets tired when, when our love gets tired. So our hope, our faith, our victory is not based on temporary victories to do with the things that Peter says are perishable, the things that are going to go away. Our hope our the gospel the good news is much greater than that it's vaster it's more incredible the good news is the gospel the hope that filled those people as they walked to the lions or to be crucified or to be imprisoned the hope that filled them is that Jesus has risen from the grave and has victory over sin and death Without that, there is no real victory. Every victory would be temporary, wouldn't it? We can have victory over this thing and that issue and this thing in our lives, but all of them would be temporary because at the end, everything ends. But Jesus has this victory over the end. That's how we can say with confidence, God wins in the end. I've read the back of the book. You've heard all those Christian sayings. Well, they're true because Jesus has a victory over sin and death. So this year and today, if you're not from our church, you know today, I believe that God wants to say this to you as well. Uh, We're not just looking at how can I press in to get victory over this area in my life or that area? How can I get victory over this issue? When am I going to see victory in that area? We're not just looking at those things. God's Holy Spirit wants to give us a fresh revelation and a deeper revelation that Jesus has won the eternal victory over sin and death. No matter what bad news you hear about in the world, it's going to end with the good news at the end. It ends with the good plans of Jesus. I'll say that one more time. We're not just looking at the temporary victories. We're not asking you this year or today to to press in and do really hard work just to get victory in one area. We're saying God's Holy Spirit wants to say 
He has the victory over sin and death. You know, if you've ever read the book of Revelation, you've probably just read a a bit here and a bit there and then gone crikey and closed the book. It's at the very back of the book, Revelation. It's a very complicated book. That's John's vision of sort of everything that's ever gone on. It's about the political powers of the earth and about the supernatural powers of the spiritual world. And it's um, filled with symbolism and imagery. And to be honest, it hasn't all been revealed to us. There will come a day where God will make sense of it to us. And in the meantime, we're going, what on earth? And it doesn't quite follow a timeline that you think about. But I'll tell you what happens if you read it in one sitting. It has this incredible pace to it. It seems to get faster and faster, faster. It's better than a down brown book. It just goes like faster and faster. You're reading about this power versus that power and this angel versus that angel and this thing happening in the world and that thing happening. And it sort of grows in this kind of pace and um, there's more and more wars and there's more and more ground seemingly being taken by evil and, and you almost feel like just kind of flicking the page because it all feels like it's going to reach this crescendo where you're thinking and then Jesus will swoop in and and there'll be a big battle. I don't want to read about the angels battles. I'm trying to skip ahead to read where Jesus comes in on a white horse or something and does this big battle. It's sort of reaching for this climax and you go through page after page after page after page and and then all of a sudden there's no more talk of battles as such anymore. It's all just kind of everything's being judged and Babylon has fallen, which represents the political powers of the world and, and the armies of angel have won. And, and I got to chapter 21 before I was like, well, where did, um, well, where's the Jesus bit? When did he swoop in? Where was the big event? Like we're waiting as if we're waiting for you know, this arm wrestle between Jesus and Satan or something, and we're all waiting with bated breath, not sure who's going to win yet. But that does not occur in the book of Revelation. It's very easy to miss it, that change point. And I had to scroll back and stop skimming over it, and I found the point of change is in chapter 16, verse 17. And it just says, in the midst of some other battle that's going on, it just says a voice shouted out from the throne, it is finished. And then more stuff happens with angels and all of that. But from that point on, evil just is unraveling and it's being judged. And God's words are powerful. God does not say things he does not mean. So he didn't say from the cross, it is finished. And then thousands of years later, have to say it again, no, now it's finished. That shout in heaven in the book of Revelation that we see, the shout from the throne, it is finished, is the shout from Jesus as he died on the cross. He called out in a loud voice, it is finished. And that was the big event. So quiet and so humble that you can miss it. But from that moment... Everything has changed. And sin and death and evil is just unraveling. It has already been judged. God has already called out its death toll to it. Jesus' plan 
is for us to have life everlasting. And as you were coming in, you may have been handed one of these pieces of paper. That's because I just could not cram every Bible verse I wanted to into my um, talk today. So please take these home and have a read of them and um, study into it yourself. You may not have heard that this is our Christian faith, what we're talking about today. Jesus at the gravesite of his friend. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Anyone who lives by believing in me will never die. John 10, 27 and 28, Jesus said to his disciples, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. John 3, 16, I'm sure you've heard. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Why? That whoever believes in him will have eternal life, will not perish but have eternal life. There is no promise in the Bible, there is no theology in Christianity that Jesus will swoop in and save us from every circumstance. In fact, Jesus himself said, in this life, you will have trouble. Such a weird thing to promise. In this life, you will have trouble. That's why Peter says, don't be surprised by the fiery arrows that are coming against you. Don't let us be caught unaware by the schemes of the devil. Don't let us be surprised. In this life, we will have trouble. The gospel of Jesus, our good news, is greater than just temporary victories. It is that Jesus has won the whole victory over sin and death. And God will give us eternal life. His plan is to give us eternal life. What? And then to renew the face of the earth and give us a new heavens and a new world. So the mystery of our faith is based on Jesus' death on the cross and rising again from the grave three days later. In 1 Corinthians 15, there's a whole chapter about, you know, the resurrection from the dead, that Jesus is the first fruit or the first to be resurrected and that we too who believe in him will have the same thing happen to us, that we will be resurrected if we belong to Jesus. So there's no Bible verses and no theology in Christianity and there never has been that when we die, we're looking forward to living in heaven. That is not the Christian faith. We're not looking forward to living in heaven. We're not going to become angels and grow wings and get harps. The Bible is very clear that God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth and we will be resurrected and we will live in heaven as such as God will live with us. In Revelations 21, 3 to 4, it says, Look, speaking of that day, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death and no more sickness, no more sadness, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That's our hope. That's our faith. 
That's the faith based in Jesus' resurrection, the empty tomb, that allowed those Christians to walk into the arena to face the lions filled with this hope. Maybe they weren't going to see victory over that lion's mouth being closed that day. Maybe some did. But they all had faith that they had the victory over death, over sin, over guilt, over evil. Those things will be the old ways. Like when I watch a movie now with my kids and they'll go, why didn't they just do this? And I'll say, because we didn't have the internet back then. Well, they didn't have cell phones, so they couldn't just call someone. They got lost because they didn't bring their map with them, and there's no other thing apart from a map. Those things are the old ways. Like my grandmother used to say, we couldn't have ice creams. We didn't have fridges or freezers. We didn't have freezers. And before that, we didn't have electricity. (laughs) And we look back and go, well, those are the old ways. We don't live like that anymore. God's future promise for you and I is that we will live in this new life where the things about death are the old ways. And we'll look back and go, I vaguely remember it. Do you remember those old ways? But they're gone now. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more cancer There'll be no more poverty. There'll be no more mental illness. There'll be no more suicide. There'll be no more miscarriages. There'll be no more murders, no more robberies. There'll be no more extinctions of animals. There'll be no more fear. Come on. This is the promise. It's too good. It's too crazy to be true in a sense, isn't it? When we boil it all down, what is my future hope? Why am I hoping in Jesus? When I don't see this victory, how do I keep talking to him? Because I know that there have been times in my life when I've had such bad news and I've floundered for why should I even keep talking to him. My sister got very, very sick and I hardly could pray because I asked the Lord to heal her and she hadn't been healed. And when I went to pray... I confess to you, I'm kind of like, well, Lord, I've asked you to heal her and you haven't did it, so what more is there to say? What other conversation can we have here? There's only one thing on my heart. You're not doing it. I'm giving you the silent treatment until you do it. (laughs) In a crying sort of way. (laughs) But our victory, the good news is... More vast than that, because Jesus says, even that I will, I will have victory over it, even over death, over every form of evil, I will have victory over it. One day we will live this life where God is among us and those old things are the old way and they don't have any part of our lives again. That's what we're pinning our hopes on. And it feels too good to be true if you think about it for too long. The only reason we can even believe in it is because of the empty tomb. Because 
we have this girth of historical evidence and we had hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses whose lives would completely radically change because they saw Jesus crucified under the Roman Pontius Pilate and then three days later he was alive again, walking and talking and eating with his friends. And because of the empty tomb, we have the hope that we too will be resurrected. When Jesus says, follow me, have you ever stopped to wonder, like, where are we going then? (laughs) Where am I following you to? Do you just blindly follow people or do you say, "Where, where are we going? Where will I get at the end? Jesus says, follow me through the cross, through the tomb. And through into the resurrection. Even if we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, our victory comes when we walk out the other side into the resurrection. Corinthians 15, it says, in the twinkling of an eye, that it will happen to us. We will be raised from the dead as well. And then, not now, but then... We will laugh at death and say, now death, now where is your sting? Colossians 2, 14 to 15, it says, he cancelled, Jesus cancelled the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. I can't say they were triumphing by having victory over them in the cross. So he disarmed death. He disarmed it. He took away the bullets. It's as if there was a, uh, you know, a blackmailer who had something on us. And it's true what he had. And he's got power over us to blackmail us. But then imagine you come out, you bring it out, you confess it out, and you find that your loved ones completely love you and forgive you and accept you for who you are and they let the past be past and and are ready to move on. The blackmailer is disarmed. He's still trying. He's still going, I've got this on you. And you're like, it's got no power over me anymore. He's take Jesus disarmed. He took away the power at the cross put them to shame death and evil and our own guilt he nailed it to the cross what this verse tells us colossians 2:14 is that this is what it means to be a christian number 1 all our sins are forgiven can we have a round of applause for jesus all our sins are forgiven all of them completely all record of it. He nailed it to the cross. He forgives thoroughly and completely. That's number one about being a Christian. Number two, Jesus has disarmed the rulers that work against us. He's disarmed them. Sometimes people, people talk about, you know, we're in a spiritual battle. We are, but the enemy does not have any power over us in Jesus. He has taken away the power. Number three, God has prepared a resurrection for us. That is our hope. It's a crazy, life-changing hope. Isn't it? No matter what happens, at the end of my days, I will still have hope. 
Even after my life has passed, there's still hope for me. That God has prepared the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has prepared the same resurrection for you and I if you're following Jesus through that grave and out the other side. And number four, we will live eternally enjoying life with God and each other. Now, this does not mean that we totally diss this life. I mean, it's like we're getting an upgrade, but you don't just diss the one you've got. You don't buy a new car and go, oh, but, you know, in five or ten years I'll get a new one, so I don't care about this one. You don't get a brand new iPhone and go, oh, in a couple of years I'll get a new one, so I'll just trash this one, no one cares about it. This life is our God-given life. And in Jesus, he makes it redeemed and he will heal us and it will go into eternity. But it starts now. Every time in the New Testament that we read about, whether the, the apostles were telling us about this new life, they always then flow into talking really practically how to live a life worthy of the calling of Jesus. It starts now. We start living those promises Now, even though we don't have that full victory, it's coming. It is coming. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you may have heard this before, we want you to know for sure about those who have died so that you will not grieve like those who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and came to life again. And because we believe this, we know that God will bring life to all who believe in Jesus. This tells us that we will encounter troubles, doesn't it? This tells us that we will encounter death and that we will grieve, but not without hope. We're not grieving as though things are ending and and death and evil have won. We weep with those who weep. We, We carry each other's burdens. We sit in the shadow of the grave sometimes, but not without hope. Our hope is that Jesus has overcome even this. So we should work hard for victory in every area of our life. I'm not saying not to. We should work hard in our marriages, in our relationships to, you know, have victory in those, to have good, healthy relationships. We should work hard to care for the earth. It is our first God-given mandate to have a healthy planet. Uh, We should, you know, work hard to be good parents. We should work hard in our workplaces. We should work hard to have victory in our health, in our mental health, in our finances, in our faith. We should work hard to cling to our faith and make it grow as much as we can. We should work hard to fulfill the call of God and have victory in the things that God is calling us to. But we do all of this from the platform, from the foundation, from the starting and the ending point that Jesus already has the victory. This is such an encouragement to me and I pray that it is to you as well. Because there, there just are things in our life where, we, where we're not seeing the victory. We haven't seen it yet. And we're praising God through it. But there's still that sense of sometimes brokenheartedness. Why 
why haven't I got the victory in this area yet? Am I doing something wrong? Is God not coming through? Can I stand on his promises? So let this be the encouragement. Jesus didn't promise to solve every circumstance. He promised to be with us in every circumstance. He's not a great high priest who is way above us. The Bible says he is a great high priest who can empathize with us because he's been through a life as a man just like we are in every way apart from sin. He walks through that shadow with us, promising us we will see the victory one day. Paul just finishes his letter again talking about how we're meant to be living in relationship with each other, with Jesus fueling that hope, our suffering can become a gift, it can become a witness, an opportunity for us to bear witness that when everything's been taken away from me, in Jesus' strength, I can still be generous, we can be a generous people and give. You know, when we're fighting injustice, we're not doing it with rebellion. We're following the example of Jesus and with his spirit, we're fighting injustice with truth and with love. Use every tool that you can. Doesn't in the Bible in John chapter 1, it says, uh, all things were made through him and for him. So we use every tool that we can to get victory in every area. You, you know, seek professional advice. Uh, use all the wisdom of science that we have. Use the support systems in our, in our country. You know, go to Centrelink if you need to. Use all of those things. Isn't the Bible so practical? They say, use every tool for your benefit to win this fight. Be part of a community of believers who are going to love you and support you. That's why our hope in Jesus for this victory over sin and death. That's why asking for help is a statement of faith. We're saying, I need help in this area because I know there's help to be found. It is a statement of faith to ask for help. It is a statement of fear to keep things hidden. Pretend that you can get through your issues on your own. Pretend that you don't need help. It's a statement of fear because it's saying, I don't trust you, my God-given community, that you'll really love me, that you'll really help me through. I don't trust God to really, if I bring it out and actually ask, I don't actually think he can help me. It's a statement of faith in Jesus' victory to ask for help, not a statement of weakness. It's saying, I declare the victory of Jesus and I know he's given me this community of believers to help me, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses to egg me on and cheer me on the whole way. It's a statement of faith to ask for help because we know that help is there because God has won the victory over sin and death. Let's just pray. Let's just pray close our eyes and take a moment with this Jesus risen from the grave telling us that we too 
won't end at the grave, that we too will be resurrected. Lord Jesus, we just come before you now. We don't know what this year ahead will hold, what this decade ahead will hold for us. For so many in Australia, it's been such a devastating begin to the year, Lord. If we listen to the news, our hope is just ripped from us, Jesus. So right now, Lord, we lift this year to you. And we declare that we're, we're declaring your word over this year. And over this decade. And over the rest of the days of our lives. That we will work hard for every victory, but whether we see them or not, we have faith in you, Jesus, that you have won the ultimate victory for us. That your word is the final word. That your word on the cross is the final word. That your blood speaks out to us that we are forgiven. that your Holy Spirit lives in us now as the down payment, as the first payment of the resurrection that you have prepared for us. Lord Jesus, I pray for every person here and those listening on the podcast that when we are discouraged, that when we don't see those breakthroughs that we're desperately crying out for, that your Holy Spirit will encourage us with this word right here, that we do not grieve as those without hope, that our hope is in Jesus, the victory that he has brought us on the cross. We look forward to that day where you'll live with us and there'll be no more sickness and no more sadness, no more crying and no more death. If you are not a Christian and you want to be right with God, if you're thinking, I don't have that victory in Jesus, we're going to give you the opportunity to pray right now and just be made right with God. Uh, Romans 10, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we believe that all you need to do is believe in your heart and pray to Jesus and he will answer you and become the Lord of your life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask everybody to pray this together. We'll just pray it out loud. And if you're praying this for the first time, all you need to do is say the words and mean them in your heart. Let's pray together. Jesus, I believe that you are God and that you died on the cross to forgive my sins. I believe that you rose from the grave to make a way for me to have eternal life with you. I am sorry for my sins and I accept the forgiveness you brought me on the cross. Help me to follow you in every part of my life. I ask you to be my Lord and Saviour. Amen.
And if that's the first time that you've prayed that, or if you have questions about what that might mean, we would love to talk with you about it. We can give you some information. We can give you a Bible or set you up on your phone with a Bible. Um, Please come and speak with me about it or any of the members that you've seen up on the stage or any of the team that you see around the welcome team with the tags on. Come and talk to me in the supermarket. I go to Woolies just any time at all. Message us on Facebook. We would love to talk with you about uh, living a life for Jesus. I hope that is an encouraging message. The victory belongs to the Lord. Amen.